If you have your Bibles, please open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. We're covering Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. And as you're turning there, uh, a couple things. Um, Happy Mother's Day. Mother's Day means a lot of things to a lot of different people. I was raised in an abusive home. I was pulled out by the courts from my house at 11 years old to go live with my dad. That was the last time testifying against my mom in court was the last time I saw my biological mom in person. I um, have tried to communicate her with her over the years, and it just hasn't worked out. My mom is my ex-stepmother-in-law, and I have a real messed up sort of family tree. <laughs> it happens. And I also, because I was such a, a troublemaker growing up and was in a lot of trouble, I have about three other moms in my life that there's like no other connection other than I crashed in their living room on a regular basis because there was food and hospitality and love there. So moms come in all sorts of different varieties and they all play a critical role in our lives. And so the flowers are, you know, if you're a lady, you deserve a flower. So don't leave without getting a flower today. Um, and if you're here for Mother's Day, I want to start out with a big, fat, I am so, so sorry for today's message. <laughs> big smile. I'm really sorry, guys. This week is... <laughs> we at Valley Baptist Church, for those of you who are here every week, we kind of go through a book in the Bible and we just kind of plow through it verse by verse. I knew that I was going to be in this text probably back in September of last year as I mapped out the calendar Last week, addressing the Sermon on the Mount, I said, the words I've eaten all week, whatever I preach on this, this Sunday, whatever that is, it's something I deal with all week long. Either I struggle, I fail in that area, it, just, it presents itself to me, and boy, this week has been like no other in my life. I, um, this time last week, Osama bin Laden was killed in a war by a Navy SEAL team. I spent 12 years as a Navy SEAL. I'm a pastor now. I wrote my master's thesis on the Christian in combat. Phone calls started coming in. I'm like, I thought, Christians, Caroline's one of them. Gunnar, I'm hearing all this stuff on the radio, and Christians are confused. And I, I don't know what to think. And you, I'm like, oh, Caroline, I don't, I don't have time for this. I'm like, <laughs> like this, you're, a, you're asking a complicated question for me to answer on the cell phone, like in between this and this. Larry then emails me. Then I start watching on Facebook and seeing all of this stuff going so, to the point where by Monday afternoon, I'm like, I've, I, I, I have to kind of respond. And so I write a little blog. My, my blog that I've been working on for last year in humble sort of setting. Jan, in January of this last year, a year ago, or whatever. My, I'm like, feel like I'm going through hell week right now. So this whole week has been like, Anna, what's next on the counter? You got to do this. Last night I'm like ready for bed at 5 p.m. I'm like, what's next? You got to preach two messages tomorrow. Okay. How about I go to sleep now and wake up at four in the morning and then deal with that one then? It's just how it's been going, but it's okay because of text. It works well for me. Um, I, I decided to write this blog a year ago when I started doing it. On, a, on an average month, I get 100 people. It's slowly been incrementally until last month. My record month of people who read the blog was 600 people or 600 views. It could have been the same person over and over again. <laughs> could have me going, look at that. That's really good. I'm going to go log on from another computer and check that one out. <laughs> hey, Anna, why don't you log on? I vlog. Check it out, you know. <laughs> And so I write this thing thinking just like it would be easier just to address, you know, my small circle of friends. I, I was consumed all Tuesday with something. I got home Tuesday night and the thing was like skyrocketed. 400 people in one day had looked at it. And then Hugh Hewitt got a hold of it. Hugh Hewitt responded, hey, dude, it's, I'm putting it on my website. Then like overnight... A thousand views. The next day, four thousand views. Like right now, we're like at nine thousand views. Then Hugh Hewitt emails me on like Tuesday night. I'm like, I'm still kind of going, what's going on here? He emails me and says, Gunnar, I need to have you on the radio to to interview for this. And I respond back and saying, 
I was kind of laughing at myself after I, you know, when you, click, when, you, when you do an email and you click send and you're like, what was I thinking? Can I pull it back? Hugh Hewitt is a nationally syndicated talk show host. He says, I want to interview you tomorrow. My response was, oh, I'm really busy on Wednesday. I have, um, I have a, a consultation visit at the VA and I, you know, and I, I really wanted to go work out in the afternoon. But Thursday is wide open. And I was like, what was I? And then he wrote me back and said, Gunnar, we're going to call you at noon on Wednesday. We're going to, we're going to do the thing and it's going to broadcast. So he didn't give me the option. And then from there, like the Christian Examiner, the Valley Center Roadrunner, this Baptist Press News, Channel 8 News was here someday, whenever that was. Channel 10 was here last night. Channel whatever, 7, I have 8.45 tomorrow morning on 7.60 AM radio. Some guy calls me. I have no idea who it is. And I'm like, what, what, what's going on? Who are you? I'm so-and-so. I don't know who this is. I broadcast right before Glenn Beck. I don't know who you are. I'm sorry. What time? What time are we talking at? Six to nine. I'm like, six to nine on Monday morning. What's the latest option you have available? 845. I'll take 845. And so this whole thing sort of exploded. And it just, I'm laughing because all week long, last week, when I said I struggle, deal with whatever I preach on, this is the verse back in October I said I was going to address today. But I say to you here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. <laughs> Wonderful. Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've talked enough. Let's pray. And then we'll, we'll, we'll read the text. See, there's a danger here before we pray. When I'm tired and exhausted like this, there's two different directions. I get very long-winded or I get funny. And so we don't know. Larry opted for funny last service. We'll see what happens this service. Okay. Seriously, this time we're going to pray. Um, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you uh, for mothers, Lord. We thank you, um, God, that you use moms and dads in our lives to shape us, Lord. And, and in my life, I've been influenced and affected by uh, a number of mothers, Lord. And I thank you for them. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we get into the Bible today, as we continue our study through the Gospel of Luke, Lord, we ask that your spirit would illuminate the meaning of the text. Father, help my mind to stay on track. I ask for energy. Uh, Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We want the word to speak to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, this day. We pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that you would guide us, Lord, um, in our journey with you. We love you, Lord. We praise you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I said last week is the Sermon on the Mount, so often it's also found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. People will take a year to go through it. People will splice it one little couple words at a time, write books on one little section in here, and we lose track of the context. The deal is, is this is a morning. Jesus calls his 12. He speaks. To read through this takes a few minutes. Immediately, he continues his ministry. So what I said last week, I almost am tempted not to do it this week just for sake of brevity, but I'm going to. We're going to read the whole, I'm just going to read through the whole thing in its entirety so that we can kind of, it forces us not to take this one isolated text and, exp- and, and make it more than it is. We have to look at the whole and then I'll, I'll, I'll harness in and look at the, the, the passage in question. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me, please. In Matthew 6, beginning in verse 20. And turning his eyes towards his disciples. This isn't the 12. This is a multitude of people. We see that there were a number of them. He began to say, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you who, when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Verse 23, be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer 
him, the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. Whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want Treat others the same way you want to tr- them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But I but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will clearly you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been built well built. But the one who is who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. When he completed his discourse and the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. Amen. So that's his speech. One, I mean, it took me about five minutes. It's a little bit longer in the Gospel of Matthew. Luke has edited out the Jewishness of this sermon because he is not a Jew. He's not writing to Jewish people. The Jewish people in Matthew's case, however, cared about the fulfillment of the law and how does the Old Testament law apply. So this is sort of a condensed version. And as we look at the whole of this text, he moves on. This is like he's up there. Like this is barely like this could have happened before breakfast and they go down into Capernaum. Just for the record, you have the Sea of Galilee up here, the northern part of Israel. He was just on the hillside up here. They came down to Capernaum right here. It's the northwest area of the Sea of Galilee. So we we know that he called the disciples. They got sunrise. Then he has this crowd. Then he turns his back. He begins speaking to them. And then right after this, he walks down to Capernaum. It may be breakfast time. So this is quick. And churches will spend years dissecting this. And that's okay. But sometimes when we go too deep, we, we can manipulate the text to what it says. And we, we, we isolate things without looking at the whole context. And as I look at this story, I want to say that in my own life, this was a struggle for me. But I say, love your enemies. The, the, that's the issue. The, the, the summary of this section is found in verse 35. But love your enemies and do good land, expecting nothing in return. That's, that's the heart of today's section. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I, 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 mean, I went to Catholic church, and if I didn't fall asleep, I got a donut afterwards. That was like the extent of my spirituality growing up. And I didn't get a donut every week. And I especially didn't get a donut the week I fell asleep and was snoring, and the priest called me out. That was a bad Sunday. <laughs> but I, as, I, as I left the home and I went into the military... 
1993. It was six years later, seven years later, I found myself on my first real-world combat mission. It was on my 25th birthday. I, um, it, I was, we were supposed to pull into port in UAE to going into Dubai. I was really looking forward to that. All of a sudden, the call came. Didn't know what was happening. They threw us. They flew us by helicopter for a couple hours to the Northern Arabian Gulf. And there I was, a young 25-year-old kid, putting bullets into a real gun, sending the, sending the bolt home, thinking to myself, pitch black, two in the morning night, gunner, how did you get yourself into this one? At this point in my life, I was a Christian. I had become a Christian about three years earlier. After I became a Christian, I thought I'd solve all of the conflict in my mind. It was simple. I bought a Bible. There was a plan. You could read through it in a year. So I set out on that journey in 1996. Three years later in the Northern Arabian Gulf, I was finishing that mission. You know, that's how it starts. You start out on this one-year Bible plan, and seven years later, you complete it because it's hard. (laughs) And so there I am on my first mission. Navy SEAL, warrior, heading out. I don't know what's coming my way. Jesus says, love my enemies. How does this apply to me? Lord, I am in a real pickle here. I, like <laughs> that, that was my prayer. <laughs> I was in a pickle. And, and I grappled with this. So much so that as I, it, it drove me deeper into the word. So much so that... By 2005, when I was finishing my master's of thesis, I said, this is what I want to write on. They said, you got, you have something here. I wrote it, and for like the last six years, I say, I got to write a book on this because this issue isn't addressed. And so the question as we come to this text, it says clearly, love your enemies. How do we cope with this? Do, like, how do we deal with this? And so there's a difference here. What I want to explain, I'm not going to be able to cover it all. People pride themselves on being, oh, I translate the Bible literally. I'm one of them. Totally literal translation. Now, there's a difference between the literalist translation and what's called the historical grammatical literal interpretation. That's what the category I fall into. A literalist translation says, Jesus says right here, don't do this. So your enemy says, it says enemy, don't do this. So in another circumstance, you don't do that. Jesus says, I'm the door. When he's speaking, he means literally that he was a door. It ignores the historical context, the the natural rules of grammar, what it means in its natural meaning. It ignores genres and the context of the setting. And so in looking at this passage, the first thing where most of these Bible passages come through, we have to look at the, the context of this at whole. I don't believe in this passage, I, I have a lot of passion on this issue. I've done a lot of research. I've talked with pacifists. I've sent my thesis to um, seminary professors that are pacifists and had the guy write a seven-page single-spaced reaction to what I said. The heart of most of their message is found in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the peacemakers from this passage. And And so this is something I had to grapple with because I came to this saying, first off, if anybody wants to be a pacifist, I want to be a pacifist. And I am, for those that you know me, I am like a totally passive, like, like I don't want to see violence. I've seen too many deaths in war. I want to come to the, my inclination is to come to the text and saying, Lord, show me that pacifism is of the scriptures. That's my bent. And so I have to guard from that. A pacifist would tell me, or they have told me, Gunner, because you are in the military, man, you can't come to the scriptures. You're an American military man. So no matter how you come to this, you're going to come up with a pro-war, pro-violence answer. Say, oh, man, you don't, you obviously have never been to combat. Anybody who's lost a buddy in war or seen that the police officer, anybody who's seen a civilian who's seen the brutal nature of the fallen man. Like, I've lost my train of thought. I'm tired here. But so as we come into this, I'm getting off on a rabbit trail, but coming back to this. So Jesus says, love your enemies. Now, how does this fit in the gospel of Luke? And I want to go, everybody go to Luke chapter three. I want to fly over Luke, the gospel of Luke, stopping at certain situations. And I think by looking at this, what we're, what I, what we're forced into is kind of like a, a situation that doesn't allow for this Speaking of Jesus to say, hey, that the military is evil, that there's no room for law enforcement, that there's no room for anything. The first is found in the Gospel of Luke, verse, chapter 3, verse um, 
If I get it right, I think it's 14. And here the story is, this is John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. He's going out preaching the repentance of your sins. He's challenging people for walking away from God, from sinning against God. He calls out Herod for having an inappropriate relationship with his brother's wife, his half-sister. And as he's doing this, various crowds come up to him saying, we repent, we want to be baptized, we want to live our lives right. One of these groups is found in verse 14. Some soldiers were questioning him saying, and what about us? What shall we do? Here are Roman soldiers enforcing a, like Roman history shows that they were a pretty brutal government. They say, what about us? We want to repent. We want to be right with God. What do we need to do? Do we need to lay down our arm or our whatever they were using? They didn't have, I got to be careful. I start using modern weapons with these guys. It's like saying, you know, I, George Washington says you can't trust anything that you read on the Internet. You know, it's like the Internet didn't exist back then. But they're, 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 we want to be right with God. What do we do? And John the Baptist says, and he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force. Or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. Anybody that served in the military could still give a hearty amen to that one. Be happy with what you're paid. Don't extort people with your violence. And don't lie about any sort of situation. So that's the first thing we see in soldiers. The next one we're going to do is up here. We're going to shoot over to Luke chapter 7. Fascinating. Sermon on the Mount. Early morning. Right after sunset. He calls the people. Gives the Sermon on the Mount. Probably before breakfast, the very next story, we've just read it. He goes down into Capernaum. And as he's getting there, when he completed his discourse, verse 1, after hearing the people, he went to Capernaum. A centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. Centurion was a, this was like a commander in the army who had a bunch of soldiers under him. Soldier, force, obeying the law. One of his servants comes to Jesus. This servant had great respect for this soldier. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come save the life of his slave. When they'd come to Jesus, he earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy uh, for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation. He's not Jewish. He's a Gentile. He loves Israel. And it was he who built our synagogue. You guys, I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago when I showed the synagogue again, Camp Pernahum. It was white with a black stone on the bottom. But Jesus did a lot of healings in. This guy built that synagogue, at least the, the black part before the, the new addition was made. He said he built our synagogue. Verse 6, he continues, now Jesus started on his way with him. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further. For I am worthy of for you to come under I I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and to another come and he comes, and to my slave, do this and he does this. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following. He had this huge crowd. He just finished the Sermon on the Mount. Goes into Capernaum. A slave comes to him and says, listen, my, my boss, a centurion, a soldier, somebody's sick. He wants help. They connect. And so the, the centurion says, listen, you didn't have to come to me. I'm a man under authority. I say to my soldiers, come, go. And they respond. And listen to what Jesus says to this centurion. Following the Sermon of the Mount. He looks at the crowd of those that had come from all of the regions to hear him teach. And he says, I say to you all. This is where the southern slang pays off in the Greek. This is y'all. All of y'all. English doesn't have it. Not even in Israel have I found such great faith. So he looks at this soldier and he looks at all of them. And he said, in all of Israel, this soldier, I have not seen faith like this man anywhere. Moving on for the time of speed. We're going to go over to Luke chapter 12. And Luke chapter 12, verse 4 through 5. What are we coming on to you? Oh, yeah, this is a good one. This is, I don't know, I like this one at least. Four in the morning when I was ripping everything together here. Um, 
This is Jesus saying, listen to the words of the, this, this Jesus. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you from whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's a pretty, that's not a nice little Jesus. This is a Jesus saying, fear God. Because he can take your life, and after he takes your life, he can cast you into hell. Don't worry about man that can just take your life, and after that, he's done. You fear the one who created you and controls your eternal destiny. Uh, we're moving on here. Um, I'll just use my notes here because it's easier to turn. Uh, Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> moving through Luke chapter 19, verse 45 and 46. I wait, I'm in the wrong chapter. There we go. Okay, 45. Okay, so Luke 19, verse 45. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, it is written, and my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a robber's den. And so this story, not in this gospel, in the gospel of John, I think it's in chapter 12, we're told that before he walked in there, he created a whip, put sharp stuff in there, walked in, and it's just like throwing people out, whipping the whip, I mean, he went in there and cleared house big time. He didn't go in there gently saying, hey, guys, this is really wrong. Could you please just not do this anymore? This picture of Jesus doesn't fit the picture of Jesus that we've been told as kids. He goes in there violently. Doesn't say hit anybody or anything like that, but he's definitely, people are fleeing from his like kicking over tables and cracking the whip that could tear your flesh out. We move on. To Luke chapter 22, verse 35. <clears throat> this is right before Jesus is arrested. They're leaving the Lord's Supper. He knows he's about to be arrested. One of the last things that Jesus tells the disciples after he'd taken communion, uh, washed their feet. In Luke chapter 22, verse 35 will start. He looks at his disciples and he says, and he said to them, when I sent you out without money, without money, belt and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? They said, no, nothing. And he said to them, but now whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise, also a bag. And whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and to buy one. For I tell you that which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with transgressors for that which he refers to as my fulfillment. They said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So he's about to head down to Gethsemane to pray, knowing what's coming. Before he like walks out the door, he says, hey, guys, um, I told you before, don't worry about money. Just go in there. Just shake the boots off. If things are different now. If you don't even have, if you have a coat but no sword, sell your coat by a sword, and they go run and they say we have two. And these are swords. I've done a word exhaustive. It's a sword, double-edged sword that's used only for taking life. Here you go, Lord. We got two. Is this good? He says, Yeah, that's good, guys. Okay, now let's go. Goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. Just turn your, or I have to turn my page. You might not have to turn the page. The Garden of Gethsemane. They're there. The scene unfolds. There's Judas. He appears, kisses Jesus on the cheek. In verse 48, and Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was going to happen, see these, all these guys, see this huge crowd of soldiers. They understand that they're about to get Jesus. They're about to execute him. Judas, we're told as soon as the arrest goes down, his bit of remorse. I believe that Judas just thought they were going to kind of bring him in for questioning. And once they, he kind of got there, he's like, they're going to execute him. And that's why he ran the money back and threw it at the priest, because he realized it was blood money. And so they see what's going on. And they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, that's Peter, struck the slave of the high priest and cut his right ear. Peter, people always give Peter a hard time with this and fail to recognize that it was just moments before Jesus said, if you don't have a jacket, you get the sword. Jesus is like, he sees that they're about to arrest him unlawfully and are about to put him to death. He responds. Now, Jesus calls him off, fix the dude's ear, says, listen, this is, this is, I'm laying my life down. He goes on to say, Jesus answered and said, stop, no more of this. He touched the ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple elders who had come against him, have you come out with swords and clubs 
as you would against a robber. See, he says right there, like, this is totally appropriate if you're tracking down a known felon that's at large and is dangerous to other people, but you're coming to arrest me like one of them? Why did you not just take me in public, he goes on to say. I was just in your midst the other day. But you come and you, you serve an award. Like, you bring the SWAT team in the middle of the night like I'm a danger to society. And as they're beating Jesus, he doesn't like he like he says this. He doesn't literally turn his other cheek. And so now going back to Luke six. So in Luke chapter six, verse twenty-seven, we read, "But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you." There's tension. Like, I really don't, please confront me through email, through later, if you think I'm distorting the text. I have no intention of distorting what the Bible's saying. The Bible, I submit myself to it. I was a soldier not wanting to kind of go forward, but how do I handle this? Like, so what's the deal with this passage? It says, love your enemies. And see, this is where we have to have a historical understanding of the people that Jesus is addressing, the context. See, It's grounded. You don't have to go there. We're going to go forward to Luke chapter 10, but I'm going to read you Leviticus 19.18, the law. And in the law, Leviticus 19.18, it says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So in this passage, the law says, don't take vengeance, don't, what does it say? Don't take vengeance, don't bear a grudge against the sons of your people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, from this law, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they then would take their yoke, their interpretation of the law. And based on this, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, the, the Jewish people during this time were very, very isolated and cut back from. They hated Gentiles. They hated those that were mixed blood like the Samaritans. The Samaritans were the worst because they were Jewish people who had bred with non-Jewish people. And they were like dogs. And dogs not like our pets. Dogs like Mexico dogs. They say there's a big difference when you go to Mexico and see the dogs. And our do- They're not like pets in the house. And they so isolated based on which rabbi you had... You could say, this is my little clique of people. There's my home. There's the people from my church or synagogue. These are my neighbor. If they go to another church in the community, if they are my next door neighbor, but they're not Christians, they're not my neighbor. And they could hate people because they're neighbor. Now, to illustrate this point, we're going to go over to Luke chapter 10. And hopefully understanding this scene, Luke chapter 10, it'll open like the light bulb will come on for some of us. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, this lawyer, an expert in the law, stood up and put, to him, put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is an expert in the Old Testament law. Stands up. He's trying to trap Jesus. And he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Question we all want to know. <laughs> I would advise everybody back during this time, if we ever get, if, if like back to the future comes to true and you get transported back in time, I don't think, don't ever question Jesus. <laughs> You'll lose. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and he answered, Jesus quotes this, Leviticus 19.18. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Wait, I'm, um, excuse me, I got it backwards. I got ahead of myself. And he answered, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbors as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, you will live. So he quotes Deuteronomy 6.4, I believe. If I stand correct, I didn't look it up. I'm tired. I'm just going by. Yep, Deuteronomy 6.5. This is like the great El Shema, the Shema. See, I've combined Spanish with Hebrew. It's not El Shema, it's the Shema. This is when you go to Israel or any Jewish person's house. When you walk into the door, there'll be a little box on the left side of the doorway the mezuzah, something like that. And it has this passage in there. 
And so this guy, the, law, the lawyer, looks to Jesus and he says, this is the great, this is it. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The guy wants to, you know, I didn't trick Jesus. I want to I go even further. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, because he's a rabbi. My rabbi says my neighbor is my immediate family, the people from my synagogue, whatever ground rules that this rabbi has established. And so he wants to know, according to your teaching, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, quoting Leviticus 19.18, according to you, who's my neighbor? And then we get the great parable of the Samaritan. Check it out. He says, but... um, Verse 30, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This road was a steep hill going downhill. Robbers, crooks, it was very, very dangerous. This, since it's Mother's Day, you know, when Jesus is 12 years old and his mom has his panic, where's Jesus? I lost God. Three days along this road. Kids, don't do this to your mom. It was, they get down to the bottom, where's Jesus? I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. It's got to go find him. And on this road is where this parable takes place. It was dangerous. And fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Brutally assaulted this guy. We don't know if he's Jewish. The assumption is he's Jewish in this picture. They strip him of his clothes. They, They beat him to where he's unconscious. This isn't like a light, like, this is, this is like attempted murder. Left him for dead, they run away. And by chance, a priest, a pastor, a leader in the Jewish faith walks by. He was going down that road. And when he saw him, he's walking down the road. He sees this corpse on the road. Breathing, still alive at this point, and he does this. And he keeps walking. That's not his neighbor. He doesn't have to love him. He's not in his inner circle. The next guy, a Levite, the Levite line. This is like the uh, the Levites were very worse for the priestly line. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. Same thing, walking by. Second guy sees this. Guy dying. It's not my neighbor. I don't have to love him according to my rabbi's teaching. Walks around him. Third person. But a Samaritan. A Samaritan was a Jewish person who had crossed married amongst non-Jewish people. They were hated by the Jewish people. They were despised. They were dogs. And Jesus says, but a Samaritan walks by. Who was on a journey came upon him. When he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast. Must be a donkey of some sort. I don't have the King James Version, thankfully, right now. Um, And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will return. When I return, I will repay you. This good Samaritan takes him up, puts him on his, I'm going to say horse or donkey, whatever, puts him on his beast, takes him to the inn, applies medicine, this oil, this, it was oil and something else, but this is the way they would medically treat him. This is putting the the gauze on him, putting the anti-ointment, taking care of him. He leaves him with the innkeeper. He says, brother, here's money. I'll pay for his stay. Please continue giving him medical treatment. I'm coming back in a week. Whatever it costs to heal him, bill me. I will pay for all of his medical expenses. And in verse 36, Jesus is getting to the punchline to this ruler who's trying to trap him. And who do I, who really do I have to love? Like, is it just my family? How small is this circle? Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? I hate it when Jesus turns the question back on you. <laughs> Ooh. 
I wish I could have seen the look on this lawyer's face. And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. So we come back to Luke chapter 6 in context here. But I say to you who here love your enemies. Your enemies were those that weren't your neighbors. They were outside of you, us four and no more little world. And he's forcing his apostles, his followers. It's not about our little Christian clique. When you drive down the road and you see the migrant worker, what do you think? When you see the girl with two kids alone in front of the WIC distribution center going down Valley Parkway, what do you think? When you drive by and you see a rich house and you have a tiny little house, what do you think? This is what he's getting at. Agape. This means you have nothing to offer me. In fact, I don't even like you. But because God loves you, I love you. You, I don't care that your world, that you get drunk and listen to crazy music. You know what? I'm going to invest in you and I'm going to love in you. And it fits on Mother's Day. Because now that I'm married to a mom, and they like wipe snot, they like wipe other stuff, not even hesitating. For years, you cry and whine and moan at night over and over again. They're the ones who get up. That's just the <laughs> yeah, that's just the husband. <laughs> but literally, an infant, you have nothing to offer your parents, your mom. And Jesus is saying, when he says, love your enemies, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. He goes on to say, if you lend money, if you can't, like my father-in-law taught me many years ago, he says, when I loan money, I I still, like I'm still working on this one. If you loan somebody five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever. Man, I like my counter. It's been a week. Is it, is it appropriate for me to ask him now? And my father said that when he loans money out, in his heart, he's giving it away. And if he can't give it away, then he won't loan it. Because he doesn't have the resources to loan it out because he needs it for other stuff. And so if when you loan money, and see, this worries me because last week I said, whatever I go through this week, this week coming up, I got do not judge. All this other stuff's going, what's going to happen this week? But if you give thinking you're never going to get that money back and that person doesn't pay you back for a long time, what happens? You salvage that relationship. But if you want that money back and that was your best friend, you're no longer friends with them because they stiffed you. But if you give, not expect anything back, the love for them is able to go on. And if they give you back, isn't it the best when like a year or something goes by and somebody's like, I owe you 20 bucks. What? No, keep it. No, no, seriously, I borrowed it. I want to give it back. And you walk away going, awesome, awesome. <laughs> 20 bucks, I can get a drink at Starbucks. <laughs> like, that's like, you know, big stuff. But all of this doesn't really solve the problem, and I'm ahead of time. I normally preach, so if you're visiting, I'm really sorry. We don't even take intermissions when I preach. Like I, it's like, okay, guys, stretch it out. So so is this clear? I mean, this helps understand love your enemies. But for me as a soldier, it didn't solve the problem. I mean, multiple times, one guy, you know, I know a little bit of Arabic. I mean, when I say little, it means like less than Spanish. So for those of you guys who know my Spanish, middle of the night, taking over a ship in the middle of the Northern Arabian Gulf, gun to a dude's face, I have a baklava on, which means that not, not, well, it's baklava, is that the sweets? Balak, whatever, the stuff where you're I wasn't, I didn't have a bunch of dessert on my face. The little thing where you can only see your eyes. I've got a gun in the guy's face and I'm, he's a guy that's an oil smuggler resisting stuff and we're going there to take over the ship to get it to safety. And so there I am, gun pointed at his face and said, sir, can you take us to bearing 280 or whatever it was? He's like, sure, no friend, no problem, my friend. He does it and I say, shokran, shokran. And he looks at me, he's like, you come in here, you point a gun in my face, and you tell me Shokran. I'm like, yeah, man, love your enemies, you know? Like, <laughs> there's still a little tension. 
I mean, I'm still working this out. I mean, I got it. So the the best kind of Sermon on the Mountie sort of text that we can find is is Romans chapter 12. And I want us to turn there. Last week we mentioned it. I'm going to start in verse 1. So Romans chapter 12. Paul's writing this. This is the best passage. This is really the only passage in the New Testament to give relief to anybody. Military, law enforcement, good Samaritan. Any one of us could be forced into a situation where you could have to use violence to protect not even yourself. Because normally the argument goes, I don't care if they kill me, I'm not going to do anything. Well, that's great. What about if you walk into a situation where something's being done to another person and if you don't do anything bad, still being done? What then do you do? Are you saying that God doesn't want you to protect the innocent? We live in a fallen world and evil is real. And this is important for us as Christians to understand. And so in verse 1 of chapter 12 of Romans, it says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I said this last week. I said, oh, read the Sermon on the Mount this week. And I didn't even do the homework because I was like so like inundated. I tried to read as much as possible. But we put the word of God into our minds and it transforms us so that we can live new lives. He goes on to say we're going to skim down to verse 9 for the speed of things. Now down in verse 9, this is where we get into the what I call Sermon on the Mountie. I made up that word. It's kind of like this sounds just like the Sermon on the Mount. Same issues, except there's more practical applications. It's clearer to me. It says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. So as we navigate this passage, Paul makes it very clear we live in a fallen world. There is true evil in the world and there is true good in the world. We're to abhor, hate, not like what is evil, cling to what is good. This polarization, he continues in verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of of the saints, practicing hospitality. To the rabbi, this would be your neighbor. This is our church. This is brothers and sisters in Christ that are in different churches. This is our household. Then he's going to transition out of your neighbor-ish. Those who you don't go to church with, those who you don't even like. People that you can't stand. What about them? This is where we go. He says, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. John Piper wrote an excellent article this week concerning the death of bin Laden. And I liked what he had to say. We want to simplify God. And that God was either happy or sad over this thing. He points out that God is terribly complex. And so God's justice was handled on one instance. On the other instance, this is a person who God loved, like that that Jesus died for, bin Laden. God is complex in personality and can feel multiple emotions simultaneously. And the Bible here says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And I tell you, before Grace was born, we spent four years or so after the loss of our first child that we lost due to miscarriage. And I tell you that those mother's days were the most painful. And I don't do Mother's Day messages because as I come to Mother's Day, I rejoice with those who have children or are grateful for children who love them. And my heart breaks for those who are married, living the nice life, and God hasn't given children or he's taken them home or what. Oh, terribly complex. And how am I able to feel this complexity of emotion? Because I'm made in God's image. One day God's restoring all of this. And Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Or something along those lines. That was Gunnar's quote. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind. Don't think that you're better than everybody else. But associate with the lowly, your enemy. The guy that you think you're better than. Associate with them. 
There's no click. There's no we're better than you. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. That's the Sermon on the Mount, right? That's the same thing Jesus said. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If this, in the Greek, there's a bunch of, this is, this is the truest if in the sense. This is if, like English, if you can. You're not always going to be able to do this one. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. There's evil in the world. There are people who are fallen from the Lord. There are people that are unregenerated. There are people who are Christians who are jerks. And you, our goal of being obedient to Christ, we want to do everything that we possibly can to be at peace with them. He goes on to say, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. That's a good one. That's like, like basically saying in my translation, in my interpretation, <laughs> However good and sweet you think that revenge to that person that wronged you, you, how good you might have a really sickle mind and you might have been a Navy SEAL for a long time and you know how to inflict pain. God's wrath is better, so leave room for him to do that. Okay, I'm, I'm cool with that. That's, that's what it says. For it is written, vengeance is mine. This is God speaking. And I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will leap a burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So there we go. This is now it's not done yet. We still have to deal with the text in context deals with this leaving room for the wrath of God. Continue through. See, when they wrote the Bible, when God created it, it didn't have chapters and verses. I'm thankful for the French guy in the 1500s who created this. Makes it so much easier. Before that, it was just one letter. So in context, carrying out this thought of living at peace with all men, it says every person is to be in subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. There's the whole book in me on this subject. What Christians tend to do is to say, oh, but the Roman government back then was really sweet. They love God. They did the right thing. Paul was executed. Tradition holds his head was cut off, not by a guillotine, because I said that once, and it's not, the guillotine was not invented back then, since we're talking about French people. I, I was French, right? Oh, he's not even here. Okay, good. <laughs> but it was cut off another way. Well, don't, we don't have to go there. We, uh, uh, <laughs> and he says, submit to it. And, and I would go to say, we don't have time to, to cover this, God judges nations. Isaiah 34, 35, you can read up. God will judge a nation if it doesn't fulfill what it's told to do. And we as Christians, we say, this is a totally little sign. We submit to authority of the government above us right up to the point, the line in the sand, where if we have to cross over it, at that point we're in violations of God's commands. That might be, you guys, that might have gone over your head. There is a time for civil disobedience if, if the government is so... Going against God. Where we see it with Peter, he dis- he's like, I, they told him not to preach the gospel. He's like, you can say whatever you want. I'm going to be obedient to God. I'm going to share the gospel of Christ. Gave his life doing that in disobedience. Verse 2, but we'll move on. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise for the same. Okay, this is the most important verse. Verse 4. For it, this is the authorities appointed over us, is a minister of God for your good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it, that's the authority, does not bear the sword for nothing. For it, that's the authority. Check this out. In my Bible, verse 19, wrath of God, I have it highlighted. I have a line driven all over, all over the Bible down to this arrow. Leave room for the wrath of God. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. I've done, an, I've done a lot of studying. This is the only thing I can see that human government was, to, was created for, was to restrain evil. And so... The pacifists, to be fair, and the ones that I love and respect, and this is not an attack against, I love pacifism, not pacifist, 
not pacifism. I've, I've seen the theology of pacifism work out in great ways in individual lives. Dear friends that are serving in the ministry. See, their theological view enables them to go into war-torn countries and serve in a capacity that I can't. And so I believe that God will... This is not a slam. I'm trying to teach the Bible. I love pacifists. This is not a dividing issue, just to be clear. But what they will say is Romans chapter 12 is to the Christian. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, is to to the government. It's the authorities. Yes, it's God's wrath, but no Christian can function in this capacity, only Gentiles. But the word here, it says that the authorities God ordained, all of them. And that when they bear the sword, they're functioning on his, his behalf. And so in practicality, what they're saying is we as Christians are holier than God. Do you guys follow that line of thought? And that concerns me. And so wrapping up with this thought, as a soldier, as a military person, as one who has to defend themselves in a given situation as a believer, given these moments where you have to bear the sword, you're not functioning on Gunner's behalf, you're not functioning on your own behalf, you're an agent of the authority that's been placed over. And that's why soldiers, that's why cops, that's why individuals... If they go outside of the law, and I think that the U.S. is pretty good, there are, there are soldiers that are in prison that have shot somebody in combat. There are cops who are in prison who have exercised force in a way that was not in authority. There are civilians who claim that they were defending themselves and that through a court of law were shown that that wasn't the case and they're in prison. If you act on your own behalf, this is, it doesn't work. I hope that's clear. This is, I'm, I'm running out of time now. We're going to go back to Luke chapter 6 and we're going to wrap this up. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay. Luke chapter 6, verse 35 and 36. As Jesus wraps up this section, he's just moving on. It's not like he's wrapping up. He says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. I got an email today. It was a comment on the thing. A lady whose husband serves in the DEA and she was in law. Both of them are pastor's kids saying they read the blog. They said great turmoil over this issue. But my husband, as he's representing the law, I've seen him do just loving kids. My friend who was killed in Afghanistan in this way, I contact her and say, hey, the news is reporting me. They're going to want to talk about Tom. She says, okay, like Tom was a soldier and he died in Afghanistan from SEAL Team 6 searching bin Laden at the same time he would call her telling her about how much he like loved the kids and there were there were afghan people that he loved and did kind things for as a christian as a soldier you have you are under this there's not an exception and the last part i want to get to it says expecting nothing in return for your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he himself speaking of the father god is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. And so as we close, Jesus points to the father. If we're children of God, if we're, if we're Christians, if we've trusted in Christ, we mimic the father. And we're told here that the father is, is kind to ungrateful and evil men. And before you run off and say, that's them, that's not me, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll close in Ephesians chapter 2. This is where we're ending. We're told in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that it's the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. And Jesus says, our example is the Father, and he's kind to bad people. And if you're anything like me, whenever we in the Bible read about the good guys and the bad guys... I always lump myself with the good guys. Never am I the bad guy. (laughs) And almost always we're the bad guys. (laughs) Like just for the record, we're the bad guys. We're going to close with this. I'm done. I'm I'm, I'm landing this. I'm going to read this passage, talk about it, pray, and we're out of here for brunch, right? Breakfast or or between. Uh, (laughs) Mother's Day. Intermission. (laughs) Okay. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you, he's writing to Christians. This is to the church in Ephesus. This is Christians he's talking to. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. This is all of you. I don't care if you are raised in the church, you accepted Christ at three years old or six months old. It's you. All of us. You walked in this word according to the prince and the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Enemies of God's God's wrath was upon us. Do us fair. We don't want God's fairness. Fair is that God's wrath lay upon us totally and completely for eternity. Verse 4, I want to do a series on the, the best buts in the Bible. This is like one of my the best buts in the Bible right here. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. See, you didn't do anything to get right with God. You were dead in your sins, a child of wrath. When you were in that place, when you were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him, seated with us, with him in the heavenly places, so that the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God loved us so much. That last thing that Jesus said, that was us. He demonstrated his kindness to us because he created us in his image. And as Christians, we follow after him in good works, not for salvation, not for earning favor, out of love for him. And there's great tension here especially for those of us who have to serve in the capacity of like law enforcement, military. So I'm talking to everyone here like you're a soldier in the military because it apply, it could apply to any one of us at any time. We love, absolutely. But God, we're able to, to fulfill Romans chapter 12. We're able to be at peace with all men. We're able to love our enemy. We're able to do these things because God has created this institution of the authority that restrains evil, that protects us. The reason I can stand here, if somebody came up and assaulted me, what's everybody going to do? I'm going to be, they're probably going to laugh. Let's see how Gunnar Hansel's himself for me. <laughs> no, that's not what's going to happen, just for the record. We're all going to pick up the cell phone, all of us, call 911, and please somebody go to the landline so they can identify the building because the cell phone works differently. I'm going to use the least amount of force to protect myself, try to restrain other people until a cop can get here to subdue the guy. And I'm able to say, Jesus loves you, brother. Hey, everybody, be praying for this, brother. I'm going to try to stay alive and keep you all safe until this happens. I'm going to be at peace with this man as best as I can. And then the cop will come and we'll put handcuffs on him and we'll pray for him and say, we love you. Jesus loves you. We're able to do that because of the authority that God has ordained. And I hope this helps us. I mean, this is very practical. And I'm sorry that it came on Mother's Day. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> uh, Father, I do thank you and praise you uh, for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, Lord, your word brings so much clarity to our understanding of this world that we live in. Father, when sin entered the world, it's, things changed. Father, we thank you. We, we, we confess, Lord, our own sin and our own bent toward rebellion against you. Lord, we pray that in Christ, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, as we look at this command to love others, Father, we pray that your spirit would convict us, Lord, as we drive our cars or as we are in our workplace, as we're in our homes, and we uh, cast judgment on others, Lord. Father, we pray that you would help 
Second Corinthians five sixteen to come alive, that we would no longer see people according to the flesh, that we would see them through your eyes, that every person is one who you created and love and that Jesus died for. Father, we I want to pray especially for our law enforcement, our military, those who are Christians, Lord, in the military serving that wrestle and deal with the consequences of the sin, the, the emotional sacrifice that's not seen, Lord, for what they go through. Father, we pray, Lord, that, the, that you'd strengthen the Christian believers that are in any sort of a role in authority. Lord, you tell us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that we're to pray for the authorities that are placed above us of all levels so that we may live in peace. And so, Lord, we pray for them. We long for the day, Lord, when you're going to come restore this place, when Jesus comes back. Father, we pray that you would help us to live our lives during this time that you've placed us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.